Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Happy 4th of July to our uh, American listeners. I'm going to go have a barbecue and watch a parade and uh, see some fireworks here in a little while. Anyway, we wanted to celebrate America's birthday with a fantastic American band. This week we're talking to members of The Rain Parade. Matt Pucci and Steven Roback were original members of The Rain Parade, who were one of those bands that were kind of lumped in with the Paisley Underground scene in California. These were bands like the Dream Syndicate, the Bangles, the Three O'Clock, who were hyper-influenced or inspired by strong melodies, a little psychedelia, indie jangle pop. Think of like the Birds or Big Star, that kind of stuff. They put out their first album in 1983, Emergency Third Rail Power Trip, and it was kind of a game changer. It was so, so, so good. They put out one more, then they got lumped in with a big label, as you often do. They didn't know what to do with the second album that came out, and that was kind of the end. And uh, Stephen and Matt have been involved in, they have regular jobs, but they've been involved in music ever since. They're, they have their own bands, like Viva Saturn and the Hellenes and Gone Fishing, and they still work with each other and help each other out. But this, out, they have a new album out next month called Last Rays of a Dying Sun, which is technically the first Rain Parade album to come out in 38 years. And one of the things that makes me the happiest is to report to you that it is fantastic. It's maybe my favorite album of theirs of all, and that shouldn't happen 38 years after the point. This song right here is maybe my favorite album on the, or favorite song on the album, Bring You Back. Now, I think I might owe these guys a little bit of an apology. I, I, I realized as I listened back to this that I don't know that I spent enough time commending them and discussing the new album. I mean, we do, of course, here in the beginning, but uh, I feel like I should have given it more uh, respect, more time, because it deserves it. It is such a strong, fantastic album, especially if you like those dreamy power pop melodies that these guys and other bands are so good at, REM, that kind of stuff. It is so great. I hope you will check it out. Their new album comes out uh, in August, and the first single, Angels Rising, which we talk about here in a few minutes, comes out later this week. So anyway, we talk about all of this, what brought this on, how they got back together, and I don't know if you know this, but an original member of the, of the Rain Parade was David Roback, who went on to form Mazzy Star, and he's Steven's brother. So we talk about that as well. We lost him a few years ago to cancer. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this. I love it. They called me from their home in the Bay Area. First and foremost, uh, so my buddy Andy Zicklin con contacts me recently, and he says, hey, would you be interested in talking with Rain Parade? And I was like, absolutely. I love Rain Parade. And he said, yeah, they're about to put out their first album in 38 years. And that was shocking to me because I've always wanted to talk to you guys, but I never imagined, honestly, that it would be around the release of new music, maybe some reunion shows or something like that. But what brought on this new album? Because I got to say, it, it's probably my favorite album of yours. It is fantastic. And I wouldn't say that if I didn't have to, but I, I am because it's true. How did this even happen? Why now? Are you talking about the new one? Yeah, the new one. Well, I'll just say thank you. That's very that's very encouraging. Yes, <laughs> very kind of you. Um, it's so it's good. Also, sorry, it's also somewhat of a misnomer. I mean, 
So rain parades last, I guess we kind of petered out in about 1987. I took a little bit of time off to go to school and have a kid and stuff like that. But both Stephen and I have been working together on other stuff. Between then and now, there's been like four Viva Saturn albums and two Helene's albums. And I played with Crazy Horse some, plus we did, uh, we did, that stuff with three by four, which is all the other uh, with Dream Syndicate and um, also uh, those other guys. Who are those guys? Uh, three o'clock, Bengals. And the Bengals, who aren't yeah. guys. Yeah, Dream Syndicate. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. And we, uh, in, in those, in those, al those albums, in, the, in that, that context, we've been working together the whole time. Yeah. Uh, That's the part, I guess, that gets lost. We don't, when we don't see a tangible rain parade album. That we can hold and touch we just assume it's not happening anymore you know yeah yeah, yeah I, I mean the viva saturn stuff is we're you know although steven and i've been writing together forever but the viva saturn stuff is mostly you know almost exclusively steven with me occasionally throwing in a little bit in terms of songwriting okay. but i played on all of those yeah what I think. yeah and you've been involved in the production and also, there have been. Uh, we're just talking about studio albums. We've also had several live albums that have come yeah, out and true. compilations. And um, there's a demo, demo demo collection called Demolition, which came out in the '90s. So there have been Rain Parade albums, but in, in terms of an official studio album, yeah, yeah. first one in a while. So yeah. what even sparked it then? I mean, you know, there's Viva. I'm gonna. I have questions about Viva Saturn and everything else here in a minute, but. Why now? Was it COVID? Was it? Did you work on something else that you thought this really does need a rain parade name on it? What is it? Well, uh, go ahead, Stephen. Well, I, I think you know part of it was the pandemic. We had a couple of years kind of locked down to like really focus, so, but, but we were already planning. We've been you know working on songs for a while together. We have kind of a backlog, and we had started playing live again about well, maybe 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I think it was and around 2014. Like, yeah, I think we started, we, we officially came back around 2012 and did some shows. And then, um, yeah, then we just kind of had a backlog of songs. So we slowly started developing them. And then we're like, yeah, I think we have enough for, you know, to put an album out. And we just got inspired and then we were able to kind of focus during, during the pandemic. Wild. Um, I really love it. And I wonder the thing that I, I'm listening to it and I'm thinking it is so nice to hear a band play their instruments and play it well. Cause you don't hear bands, you know, with actual instrumentation on the radio very much anymore. It's a shame. It's, this is a common thing. Cause I talked to mostly legacy acts from like the 70s, 80s, 90s that I love and grew up on and feel very emotionally invested in. And I just think, they, how how can I get the word out that this music is so good and so worth someone's time? Please so, <laughs> I, well, that's the idea. That's why I want to do this. <laughs> but let me ask specifically, I've, I've never known who's singing what, but it's obvious that you guys kind of trade off on vocals sometimes. Yeah. Last Days of a Dying Sun, the title track. Who, Which one of you is on that? Tell me about that, because that song is so strong.
Thank you. Uh, well, we both are actually, and the way stuff works was, I mean, we've been doing this, a while, you know, we've written a lot of songs together and they will go anywhere from, you know, Steven's written almost all of it and I'll come in and, you know, mess with it or uh -huh. vice versa. This was a song that I had and it had a middle section that was really, really underdeveloped. And then Steven came in and he, you know, whipped that into shape and ended up singing the middle. So I sing the verses, but then I want to go to that trippy part with the sitar. Yeah. I guess it's all trippy. But when it gets to the sitar part, that's Steven singing. And we, we did that a lot on this record, which was kind of fun to have mm -hmm. both of us sing. Um, and we, we just recently got back from England on a, a, we were doing a little tour with Dream Syndicate with just Steven and I singing. And we did that a lot too, just singing together. So oh, right. that song yeah. is, yeah. It's, uh, singing together in different ways, sometimes in unison, sometimes uh -huh. trading off sections. Yeah. Um, last raise, um, I Matt sings the lead, and then I come in on on that change in the middle. But then, at the as that sort of builds towards a crescendo, we kind of trade off, and it, it mm -hmm. sounds pretty cool. This kind of choral, um, you it's know, so good trading trading off. Yeah, it's so good. At the risk, I mean, I could go track by track on this. I also love the opening track, Angel's Sister. What's the story with that one? Talking about <laughs> okay, yeah, that's an interesting story. I mean, that that song's been around for a while. We actually, really? we actually recorded a version of that with Viva Saturn, with which Matt was heavily involved in on every level. But we we were never really happy with the sound, and you know, we we thought we could do it better, so we decided to redo it with Rain Parade, since it's basically all the same people. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, again, to yeah. read that Viva Saturn and you know, I mean, almost all of it and the Hellenes, almost all of it, not. Yeah. It's basically, it's basically Rain Parade with rather than both of us writing, it's usually just one of us. Uh, yeah. That, getting back to that, uh, yeah. Angel Sister, uh, we didn't, all we had was the, the mix. I think that for reasons we won't go into, mm. we only had a mix. We didn't have okay. tracks. We lost the masters. It was on eight ads and it was kind of brittle. And uh, what was super cool, in addition to re-recording it, was we were able to get um, some friends of ours to sing on it. Speaking of sisters, the uh, Peterson sisters yeah. sang. And then also uh, another fantastic band, if you've never heard of them, you should check them out, called the Moore Brothers. 
imagine the Everly Brothers doing XTC songs oh, with like oh. one acoustic guitar. I oh. mean, they are amazing. That they sounds good. Really band. beautiful harmony singers. Yeah. Got and you know, all those guys are on there. And I mean, there's one point where there's like a super high note. It's like uh -huh. two degrees above middle C. And it's not the girls. It's Tom Moore. He, he's like <laughs> freaking Andy Gibb. Anyway. Yeah. So that that's um, that song. And our uh, record company exec, Bill Hine, who was the first guy we ever met way back in the day. Yeah. Was honest. He was very excited about that song. So he wanted that to be first. So we said, sure, why not? Good. Yeah. Good. I was just going to say it was great to have the Peterson uh, sisters oh, from, the, from the Bengals. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They still sound great, too. So you've, you've yeah. made attempts here to clarify that most of the same people are, are moving around in the same circles making music. It's just slapping a different name on it. So, again, not to, I hope I'm not belaboring this point, but... This is the first technically new album of new material from Rain Parade. What makes this different from a Viva Saturn record or something else? Is it the fact that one of you took the reins more than the other, or you took them equally, and that's what makes it Rain Parade? What What's the, yes. the, the thinking the there? Okay, okay. So when you guys approach this equally like you did, that's what makes this a Rain Parade album. And that kind of chemistry was not happening before you were just helping each other kind of with each other's primary projects is that right that's partially true that it's fairly fairly accurate okay yeah. although i mean anytime i mean we learned a long time ago that if we're gonna work on songwriting we just split it and don't worry i mean not that we're like jagger richards or letting them start anything but i mean we just it's just easier that way yeah. Um, so, I mean, you can probably figure out the guy who started the song is probably the guy who's singing it for the most part. But uh, we, we did some, I mean, for instance, on the first Aline's album, Stephen wrote, co-wrote a few of those. And on the second one, he co-wrote one with me. And I mean, I've co-written some stuff with him. But essentially, that's correct. The Rain Parade means Stephen and I writing. Got it. Together. Okay. Yeah. I think it, regardless of who kind of generates the original idea, uh, with Rain Parade, it's we're definitely more involved together in songwriting together. So, like every aspect of the songwriting and the arranging, we do together. Whereas okay. in Beavis Saturn and the Hellenes, maybe one person is more, uh, you know, developing the song to a further extent, and then another person will come in later in the process and get involved in either the, the production or the arrangement. Okay. Yeah. I um, mean, he's really got a he's got a different sensibility than I do and tends to complement the things that maybe I, I don't do as well. <laughs> Interesting. And, and we'll say, um, I don't know about that line, dude. That's not really very good. <laughs> what, in a polite way. Is, one other thing I'll say is that Matt, Matt and I at our core, I think we, we, of course we both write songs on acoustic guitars and electric guitars, but when I'm playing bass and Matt's playing electric guitar, that's kind of where I think the core of the Rain Parade is at, and it's always been there. Yep. So, and just this weekend, we were, we were kind of realizing that again, playing a, a, song, a new song where I'm playing bass and he's playing guitar. And somehow the, the melody lines that I think you might associate as classic Rain Parade come out of that format. Mm -hmm. Really? So 
Okay, so that's how you guys know you're at your best. I wanted to, I was curious about something. When we were emailing setting this up, Matt, you had mentioned that you're retired now. And um, I'm curious, we, we try to sensitively cover some of the business side of things over here. And with you guys being a very well-respected cult band, yeah. it's not it's not like you have big hits that bring in, you know, tons of mailbox money that you can live off of. What did you, what are you retired from, Matt? I read somewhere like a biochemist or something like that. I worked, uh, I, uh, right when I left school at 33, um, <laughs> at, at Berkeley where Stephen went to Berkeley. Stephen's a Berkeley graduate as well as his brother, David, as well as Susanna Hopps, as a matter of fact. Oh, wow. Um, I uh, I was look, working in a laboratory doing molecular biology, essentially, which is a fancy word for biochemistry. It's a little different. And a, uh, the then nascent um, state DNA lab, crime lab, started. There was a, just a few people there, and I needed a job. And I kind of got in on the ground floor at that place and did DNA analysis and uh, crime solving through the use of DNA. Really? Really? I got some stories, dude. I bet you do. So you weren't at the crime scene. You weren't Dexter. Like, well, the blood splatter tells me this happened. No, uh, You're blood, able to look at the DNA. Yeah, we were what you'd call a secondary lab. I, I fortunately, I mean, even though I've seen some pretty gross stuff, I was never a crime scene technician. I never did blood splatter. I exclusively did DNA. And in the beginning, um, well, Still, to this day, there's seven labs and probably 250 people who do it now in the state, but um, exclusively secondary stuff. So another laboratory would process a crime scene and they just submit it for DNA. And then I would did that for like 10 years and then I became a supervisor. Then I ran our familial search program for 15 years and that has nothing to do with rain parade. <laughs> 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 Worked on some pretty... Did some of the OJ, some of the Lacey Peterson. I don't know if you're about what? to Yeah. Really? High-profile uh, criminal cases. Oh I didn't God. testify in OJ. My boss did. Great guy. Um, but I helped him on that. So, wow. Yes, um, yes, he did it. <laughs> yes, he did it. We all know <laughs> he did it. He, he, he walked through the blood at the crime scene. Yes. Maybe he didn't well, do it, but he was there. Yeah. What more do you need? That whole thing, what a mess. Well, you need to not be an idiot and move the trial to a place where, you know, a marginalized community who is sick of being shit on yeah. is going to not convict a guy because white people with money have been getting away with it for years. Yep. I think yep. that's much what happened. That's it. That's exactly it. Um, wow. I might ask you more questions about that. Now, Steve, what have you been doing? So I'm guessing Viva Saturn albums and Helene albums and all that kind of stuff, they happen on the weekends. They happen in your free time yeah. while you're running, you know, a normal, legit yeah. job. Okay. Yeah, it took me like 10 years to do both of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, for, for a while, uh, you know, I, I was doing kind of Viva Saturn as my main focus. Uh, uh -huh. and working as a, a freelance uh, writer on the side. And I, I, for a while, I was a, a technology journalist writing. Oh. I had some opportunities to write about, you know, computer products, and I had a good connection at some magazines. Um, so I kind of carved out a, a niche as a writer, uh -huh. which basically, you know, provided income. 
And then as time went on, I, I got more into the writing thing. And eventually I became a technical writer uh, working at uh, software companies. Nothing oh. as high profile or, or, or as sorted as what Matt does or did. Right. But, um, but yeah, so I've been working as a technical writer in, uh, in San Francisco for about the last 15 years. That's right. a great, um, that's a great career, I right? A single thing that he does. I mean, and what's that? I can't understand a single thing that he does. <laughs> pretty high level stuff. It's, uh, it's so funny you say that, Matt, because my real job is I work for a software company and oh. I work in sales and I have done, I've done this kind of work for almost 20 years now. And, um, I am the least technical person you'll ever find. I barely can tell you what the software I sell can even do, but I know how to, I know how to work a yeah. deal and yeah. that's, and so there's plenty of other geeks who can speak the language. I rely on them. I just focus on like closing deals. So I completely get that. Um, are you both living in the Bay area? Yeah. Okay. Yes. And we should also mention that, um, since 1984, we've been working with John Thoman, who's an old college buddy of mine and old college, college buddy of Stevens Brothers, who's no longer with us, uh, uh, John Thoman. And he, uh, he is on, after the first two Rain Parade records, he's on every one of those. And he's on all the Saturn albums and he's on all the Helene's albums. Plus, he played with Chris Kakavis and Junkyard Love. and. He's embedded in the. He's part of the part of the yeah. core group now. Core, Got it. Amazing, Got it. really okay. good rock guitar. Very great guy and great guitar player. Well, he'd have to be to work alongside you guys for so long. Well, um, I okay, oh, go ahead. Steven's brother referred to him as the David Gilmore of the Rain Parade. Which That's makes high praise, Sid, I guess. And I guess Stephen, that makes you Roger Waters. I don't know. Why. <laughs> Well, definitely not. Uh, not politically speaking. <laughs> no, no. Good. I'm glad to hear that. And as a matter of fact, John and Stephen's brother and I, when we were in college, we had a punk cover band way, way back in the day. That was how we got started. But anyway, I, I, <laughs> I know I read about that when I was getting ready to talk to you. Um, okay, you've alluded to it. I was going to save it for later. Let's, if you don't mind, can we talk about Dave Robeck for just a minute? Sure. So Dave starts out in the band, David. and uh, I'll call him Dave. Oh, <laughs> got it. David. Okay. See what I mean? I make the, I do this. Uh -huh. So David starts out in the band. Um, it, I get, my understanding is that it becomes clear pretty quickly that he'd rather be off doing his own thing, that a band environment where he's not kind of fully in charge, maybe isn't the right spot for him. He goes that's on and eventually starts Mazzy star. Correct. Right? Yes. yes. Okay. That's, that's somewhat accurate. I mean, in a way, you're only seeing the tip of the iceberg, if you will, because um, there's some history that predates yes, that. I'm he, sure he was, he was part of the core band for longer than maybe, maybe it seems because he was only on the first record. But we were basically, you know, in isolation for two and a half years. No, it was more than one and a half. But anyway, um, yeah, he, he was absolutely instrumental in um, developing and. Uh, crafting the sound and the style as uh i mean he and i were both went to the same school as john thoman in little place in minnesota and i met him in 1975 and john as well and uh we both got kicked out because our roommates wanted to study and 
we wanted to do other things. So uh -huh. we roommates. Anyway, we always wanted to be in a band. And then finally in 1981, I moved to LA. And then within a matter of weeks, Stephen came down from Berkeley and, um, and then we all started writing together. Yeah. And that's really what, I mean, it's a good thing to have three songwriters, but it's a very difficult thing to maintain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just like a with Mac. Yeah. Yeah. Buffalo Springfield lasted yep. like an album and a half, maybe. Yep. yep. You know? So we didn't know Stephen, David and I, who I guess technically, if you look at the first, like, Rain Parade is a day for the first five minutes. It was David and I, and then Stephen showed up. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, we didn't know. He was he was These guys invited me to join. Yeah. Well, David said, hey, my brother's a good musician, and Stephen is. Uh, and he uh, probably at the time better than like a more accomplished musician than David was. David was an mm -hmm. artist who picked up a guitar. Stephen already kind of played. Anyway, so he shows up, and we didn't know he was going to be that good of a songwriter. So now we had three songwriters, which was great. But it's just it's just too hard to do. And David's a very um it's a brilliant artist and you know, he wanted to kind of do his own thing and then he saw that Stephen and I maybe were more compatible as songwriters together. I mean, I wrote a little bit with David, but not a lot. I mean mm -hmm. maybe a handful of songs and Stephen and I have probably Jesus probably written hundred songs. Anyway, so that's you know, that's what happened. And he yeah. he uh, our first tour he went Kendra Smith came with us. And then when we got to New York the first time, they'd already had a show set up as Clay Allison, which is what morphed into Opal, which is what morphed into Massey Star. And all those groups were great. Mm -hmm. So the world got those groups and they got to keep Rain Parade too. So that was a yeah. good thing. So let me ask you something, Steve, Stephen. Um, when you got, I mean, as I as I mentioned earlier, Rain Parade are a band with a lot of street cred and a lot of respect and passionate fans, but who never made it really big. And you you're watching your contemporaries like the Bengals, in my mind, morph into a pop group. Not so much stay. Maybe there's some <laughs> roots in Paisley Underground, so to speak, but morph into more of a pop group. And then you see your brother go off and hit big with Mazzy Star and fade into you. How are you feeling as you're watching all of this happen? You know, I'll give you an example. I had uh, Mark Seymour on here last year, I think it was, who is in Hunters and Collectors. And his brother, Nick Seymour, is the bass player in Crowded House. And we were talking about how right for a while there in the 80s, Crowded House hits big, Midnight Oil hits big, NXS hits big, Real Life hits big. Everybody hits big except Hunters and Collectors. And so at Christmas... Mark has to sit next to Nick at Christmas dinner and Nick is jetting off for the world tour and Mark's playing the hotel there in Melbourne or whatever. How are you dealing with this watching it happen? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think I might've had moments, you know, where I, you know, had twinges, oh, you know, it's too bad we weren't more successful. Uh, the rain parade, you know, maybe financially, uh, you know, yeah. more records, but I'd say in terms of like creative satisfaction, I never felt, I've never felt lacking at all. I, 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 I feel like I had a, you know, um, a very complete full experience in the creative realm with music. And that's really been reward, you know, I, I, I'm not gonna lie and say it wouldn't be nice to have sold a million records. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, so I, I, I feel, you know, like we kind of achieved what we set out to do, which was to have, 
was to create some good music. Yeah, and that's sure been did. Pretty, pretty consistent. So on, on the, the creative satisfaction level, I, I think that that's made up for it hugely. Yeah. Um, and and then there's also you know knowing the reality of, of being of a being a musician, having a career as a musician, and being on on the road, and it's not always so much fun, you know. Even, and so even when David's off, maybe you know touring was off touring wherever, I'd be like, yeah, that's not it's not as fun as it looks, mm-hmm. you know. I believe and, it. Yeah. So I've had I've yeah. had a full my full share of the musical yeah. <laughs> experience. That's that's yeah. pretty much how I feel about it. Yeah. yeah. When you're starting Viva Saturn and you two are kind of working together, but you're kind of leading the charge on that. I mean, those albums are pretty obscure. They might even be they're more obscure than the Rain Parade albums. They're all out of print. Yeah. They're not on Spotify or anything. I had to listen to them on YouTube. So are you able to tour? Are you able to, when you make a new Viva Saturday, is there a period there in the 90s where that output is keeping you afloat? Or is it from the, for the last 35 years or so, has it just been sort of a, you know, weekend warrior music career? Um. Well, for for a while, I was focusing on it, you know, more more full time, and we were able to do some touring, and the records came out. But um, you know, I at a certain point, creatively, I was just like, okay, this is at, at the end. You know, that's enough for Saturn. I think it was around ni- nineteen ninety eight or so. Yeah. I actually just stopped the band. It was so Viva Saturn was eighty nine to ninety eight. Okay, <laughs> that's that's the time frame. That sounds and, right. I just consciously let it go at that point and was ready to move on to something else. So, so for that period of time, it was creatively fulfilling. It was fun. Um, but I haven't tried to continue putting out music in, in that, under that name or in that context. Yeah. There, there is some talk, um, our, our good friend, uh, Pat Thomas, who you might have heard of, mm-hmm. he's kind of a, a, a reissue um, producer. There's talk about reissuing a, a collection of the Viva Saturn stuff. So that, that might come out as fun. Good. Um, okay. Um, speaking of kind of music evolving and creative satisfaction and freedom, I'm curious. I'll ask, I'll point this at you, Matt. When um, the second album comes out, crash, well, I think of it as the second album, complete album, Crashing Dreams, comes out, and you're on island at that point. So you're in the big leagues 
and there's more there's more money i'm guessing going into the recording and production of that album maybe more expectations of getting played on the radio what was that like for you did you feel at all matt like uh rain parade and island were at odds or had different hopes and dreams or were you happy to go along with their sort of bigger label uh expectations well i mean all youngsters who come I mean, steven and david are from la and i i showed up there like mm -hmm. a cork on the ocean as brian wilson would say so th there was some um you know appeal to to that sort of grab the brass ring um in retrospect i think steven and i would both disagree that that was a mistake for us to leave mm -hmm. our previous producer and our uh, previous record label because although there were some very nice people at island um they they didn't really get it um they tried to capitalize on this i mean it's, it's funny if you look at the british press uh their model is you know build then destroy mm. so they hype people up um and you know like that whole as much as i like all those bands and i mean it's a legit scene if you will with a dope mm. band but it's a legit scene um nobody was ever as good as they said we were nor were we as bad as they said we were yeah. and when we got to island it was pretty clear from the start that they didn't really get it mm -hmm. but you know it, it was an opportunity to record at better studios we did get a, a very nice man ian matthews is from a fantastic uh, fantastic group at the fairport who i adore mm -hmm. I met this musician as an a r guy maybe that wasn't his forte because he really pushed this producer on us who again was a nice man but just really wasn't right for us didn't get it and uh so we like all those songs mm -hmm. um but we uh part of that demolitions thing steven alluded to half of it is the portrait are the demos that we developed for that record and oh you know, interesting in many cases i like those better i bet they aren't you know sonically as fulfilling yeah but there was the natural sort of uh running its course uh, anyway i don't know if i'm even getting close to answering your question well um, no that's i mean so i'll give you an example two they signed six bands and put out two records and and they dropped us within the first month of it being out so they really didn't <laughs> do anything and they didn't we've never seen a dime from them and i, I yeah uh, which is kind of like the standard story and then there's some uh, <laughs> criminal managers and that's a that again is a different story uh but uh uh we, we learned our lessons uh and yeah it's fine and it was you know it was great i i distinctly remember talking to steven in the van when we were in london and i was like dude let's let's remember this because this is you know yeah we're at a spot now that we may never be at again it was cool to play on the bbc even if it was 10 in the morning sure. um so you know that you say were, you did it we're appreciative of what people did for us and don't yeah. blame anybody for anything i mean the one thing those other bands that you're talking about like the bangles or the dream syndicate or david for that matter or a band like i am yeah they played a lot more than we ever did so um you know we're not uh we're not like jealous or we're not bitter okay. stuff um, okay that, that was something i was wondering um again this is a common thing too i going back to Perubu, or even I was talking to Deborah Ayal from uh, Romeo Void, 
Sure. And she was saying yeah. how when they, you know, they start off on four one five records there in the Bay Area, and then they get signed to the major, and then the major supposedly sees her and that she's a bigger girl and they don't know how to market this and they don't know what to do. And so they just kind of let it fritter. And I think, do you not do your homework? Do you not know what you're buying when you take on a band like rain parade? Uh, these are their strengths. This is what I think I can do. This is what the potential I think they have. And then you execute on that plan. And it just feels like too often bands acquire or labels acquire bands without a plan of knowing what to do to accentuate their strengths and bring out the best in them. And I yeah. don't understand that. Why would you waste that time and that money on that? I, I think in a lot of cases, the major labels are kind of chasing a trend or a fad. Yeah, yeah. Really at the moment, and they're just looking for a way to cash in on it. And they're not necessarily looking to develop the artists. Yeah. And I think we got caught up in that a little bit because we had the, you know, Island UK was the one who actually signed mm. us. Okay. So they were kind of selling us from a distance with this, you know, American mm. neo psychedelic Paisley underground label. Yeah. And, um, but, but as Matt said, there was definitely a, a disconnect. I don't think that they really got where we were coming from. I don't think they necessarily understood our influences or, or knew what we were, you know, trying, trying to do, uh, mm. musically. Yeah. Um, but as Matt also said, well, I think, I think, they did provide us some opportunities and i think um it was cool to to tour europe and uh -huh. uh, you know we, we did go into a good studio and, and you know actually i think there's a couple of real real you know uh gems from from uh -huh. that crash and dream album oh totally totally was depending on you was that the first single off that album yeah No, did it? Well, no, we didn't release the single. You did? Okay, that's what I, I like. I what was the have. single? Was there a video? Oh, did it, it ever get played? Oh, no, yeah, no, there, there wasn't an official single. I guess that, that was the okay. side one, song one, but no, yeah. it, it wasn't an official. Um, okay. Single. We, well, they should have done. Um, Rhett Davies, who's the producer for, uh, for Roxy Music, he heard that song. He really liked it, and he wasn't really that interested in doing much else but that song, and they mm. should have done that yeah. i think that was may have but uh again that i mean i like that song a lot and uh we we are proud of it uh i yeah. don't think it was realized that we, we actually just started doing it again between steven and i good but 
yeah, that uh, they never did any of that stuff. We were oh. they, they dropped us before that ever happened. Oh, so, stuff um, like that doesn't make any sense. Well, one um, thing about Island, though, I just want to mention is when I said about other opportunities, they actually did end up releasing our our live in Japan album, hmm. which was kind of. Uh, Good and bad. In one sense, it kind of overshadowed initially, kind of overshadowed our studio album, mm -hmm. so it got more attention. Mm -hmm. like Crash and Dream, which which was weird because it was That's just weird. a live album. Mm -hmm. uh, but but it was also good because it, it did help sort of you know sp spread our, our music around. More people got yeah. to hear. They weren't the, completely worthless then, I guess. But it, it it was actually the re the reason we went to Japan was because Bill Hine from Enigma was the one who set that up for us to go. And then, you know, this is a little silly and not worth going into, but a couple of labels started fighting over it. And that album actually got released by three different companies. It got released in the United States by Restless. It was released in the UK by Island. And it was released in Japan by a company called Wave. And that was a fun experience. We went with those guys in Dream Syndicate. But that had nothing to do with Island. We'd already had finished that before they ever signed us. Wow. And that was that was a lot of fun. To yeah, but they picked they picked it up in the UK and they promoted it. I remember like seeing a full page ad and like oh, you know, okay. in your sounds or you know, it's a little something. Okay. Yeah. Um let me ask you about the first album, which is, you know, obviously still a classic Emergency Third Rail Power Trip. Why did you name it that? Well, I it was actually, I think D David s saw the sign in the in the uh, uh, Bart, uh, the uh, subway. The Bart, yeah. Oh, the Bart. I grew up in the Bay Area too. That's yeah. Cool. Okay, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a real thing. It's yeah. actually like a, so, an emergency third rail power trip. It turns off the third rail. You're right. Well, I mean, I knew that's what it meant, but I didn't know it came directly off the Bart. No, he said he was stoned, and he he said I got to write this down, and he told me about it, and I just <laughs> thought it was fucking great. So. Hilarious. I grew up in Concord, Walnut okay. Creek area, right and then uh, after I graduated from college, I moved back to the Bay Area, and I lived in San Mateo and San Ramon for a while. Um, my favorite song, which I didn't realize was, you guys were slightly before my time. 1983, I would have been about 9 or 10, and so I wasn't listening to, like, deep college radio at the time, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I discovered Rain Parade later, like in college. This Can't Be Today is my favorite Rain Parade song. I didn't know until much later that that was even a single. I didn't know what was a single or what had videos. It, it was a video. It was not a single. 
Okay. I saw the video on YouTube years later, you know? Um, I love that song be- for so many reasons. The shakers, the sort of organ that's happening or whatever in the background, and then the percussion, those like, I don't think they're actual hand claps, but they sound like hand claps at the end. They are actual hand claps. Are they actual? Okay, I wasn't sure. So good. Every bit of that. Tell me about the creation of that song, whichever one of you wants to do it. Matt, maybe you. Who decides on those things? Who's thinking shakers would be perfect right here? Well, that that's okay. That comes later. So, I mean, every song is a blank piece of paper. And uh-huh. like, like one of the things Steven said earlier that I think is absolutely the core of Rain Parade is him playing bass and, and me playing guitar. And I remember he started playing this bass line, which is really weird. That's a very weird bass line. It's unusual. I, I love it to death. And I'm like, wow, that's freaking cool, man. What's that? So then I recall, you know, I started playing guitar to it and I came up with my part and then I seem to recall us going to Santa Monica beach and just, I, I think we kind of came up with most of the lyrics then. And then we showed it to his brother and he loved it. He came up with his cool part. And we always, um, the early rain parade, actually always we're, we're slow. So we, we we do, we do slow burns. We don't, we don't make, you know, street food. We, we, yeah. we, Take a long time developed. We we actually we were listening to uh, um, some of the stone some of the stones like oh no I'll, baby you're a rich man which has Brian mm. Jones playing those weird flutes. Good we point. actually looked for a keyboard that could make that kind of sound, and then we got that kind of sound, and Will got that keyboard, and then so we were off and running with that, and then the whole shakers uh, weird drum thing that that's uh, that was all of us together. Mm. But yeah, it's basically should. started with Steven's bass line. Then he and I like fleshed out the song. And then, you know, David was really involved in helping uh, develop further instrumentation. And uh, I don't, is there anything backwards on that? I don't think there's anything backwards on that one, but mm. it's that, that whistle sound is sounds mm-hmm. kind of backwards. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, so yeah. good. It's just a flash of genius. What were you going to say, Steven? I was just going to add that, you know, I think we, in the early band, we were we were exploring the different like types of guitar sounds, different organ sounds, and we all kind of liked that kind of easterny sound, mm-hmm. um, uh, somewhere between like Magical Mystery Tour and you know uh, Doors, early Doors. Yeah, um, it remind what's you guys probably get compared to Big Star a lot. I'm suddenly blanking on that eastern sounding song of theirs. Do they you, got it. They have a song called India. No, that's uh, that's the birds called India. Uh, uh, come on, India. Uh, songs. It's the- it's it, it's uh, India song or something. Is that yeah, India song. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So easy. Anyway, that's what it kind of reminds me of. That's weird because yeah. the big star element is more like that song, Carolyn song.
Is a big star song. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's a between them and you know Pink Floyd and obviously all the B bands. Um, yeah, Beach Boys, Birds. That's, yeah, we were really getting into like exploring these different guitar sounds. Like oh, you can tell. Touchdown and Rickenbackers, and I had a I think I had a Les Paul hollow body bass uh, and jazz bass, and. Um, we were just kind of trying new combinations of different of, of those guitar sounds that we just loved uh -huh. with, with organ sounds and kind of like trying to and then i think the music is kind of sort of inspirational in a way like the, mm. the music itself but the the lyrics always ended up kind of being like these exploring these like slightly darker lyrical themes mm -hmm. so the juxtaposition of those those elements kind of came out in a new way that we kind of recognized them yeah, I mean, you would never, most people don't think of Rain Parade as like a punk band. That's, I mean, but, and I think people correctly kind of have trouble placing what time it comes because uh. it could have been in the 90s, it could have been in the 60s or 70s, it ended up being in the 80s. But lyrically, I think that's where the punk comes in. There's a lot of, you know, not, yeah, the, the Rimbo and Baudelaire uh, yeah. and I get it. Not to mention just the general DIY feeling or vibe to it all. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, that's the era we came out of for sure. Absolutely. We were punks as kids, but didn't ever play. This is what came out. It, it does yeah. sound like punk music. Yeah. Um, okay. Poor, poor term anyway. The band's from New York in 75. That's a terrible term for them because they really aren't any of them. No, especially, I mean, no. Television, Talking Heads, Blondie. I mean, those are all Patty Smith. They're not like again. Yeah, I completely agree. Punk in attitude, but not in sound. Not in the yeah, not yeah, as we think about yeah. it. Um, I wonder. Okay, this might be a super nerdy question that I could be way off. I've always felt like Kaleidoscope sounds as if it could have been formulated during the same kind of jam that formulated this can't be today.
Like they, there's a similar vibe. They're not, they're not close to each other or sound like each other, but they have a similar kind of, I could see you guys jamming in a room, finding a sound you like coming up with this can't be today and then continuing down that road and coming up with kaleidoscope. Is there any connection between the two or am I just hearing things? Kaleidoscope is earlier, I think. Yeah, no, I think I, yeah. Kaleidoscope is earlier. Actually, I think it might be the other way around. Okay. I, I think I think that's right. I think we were just in a room. We were kind of look, you know, just kind of searching for a sound. Uh huh. I think at some point, like with Kaleidoscope, we just I had this. I had the original melody and a bass line, and then it was just it felt too too kind of constricted. The uh-huh. way we were doing it. I don't and think I you're right like, about that. Actually, I don't think you had the bass line. I think you played it on an acoustic guitar, but I could be wrong. Well, I had some kind of baseline. It was okay. primitive, but at some point, anyway. I, I don't remember us being in our rehearsal studio, and we just said, like, let's just throw this open. Uh-huh. And just play something different, play something new. It was actually really, pretty experimental. I mean, do you remember that, Matt? Well, what, it's Marine Street. I think what he's getting at, and I think what we always, as we developed our sound, we kind of, like, started in like 1964 and then fast forwarded in 1969 uh-huh. over like about four months or eight. And um, we had, we always had this ethos where we wanted every song to have something, you know, that kind of knocked it on its side, if you will. Um, so this can't be today actually was that what you hear is kind of more, I'm going to slightly disagree with, maybe this isn't a disagreement. I don't know. That, was already weird. Yeah. Okay. It just was. Kaleidoscope was a little more straightforward. And Stephen brought it to David and I. And we're like, that's really cool. How about if we do this? And then David goes, oh, what about this? And he plays that, what Dan Stewart of Green on Red referred to as the mentally ill guitar. That, <laughs> that thing. Um, and then I was going to put put a sitar on a song if it killed me. I didn't care. I was like, we're having a sitar on a song. Yeah. And we're going to freaking do that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, wow, this this one, this is the one to do it on. And then also Will, who was a really important member um, prior to, we didn't really become Rain Parade. We were sort of tooling around with stuff. And uh, this is before we even had our, our first real drummer. Um, Steven actually started playing keyboards. And when Will showed up, he played bass. And it, our very, very first drummer, he's like, man, I can't play drums with this guy. He doesn't really... He's, Will was a tremendous musician, but he wasn't really a bass player. Mm-hmm. And we had this um, sort of spark of inspiration. Wait a second. Because Steven's a really accomplished piano player. He can play great piano. And he's mm-hmm. very, he can play all that door stuff. Um, and it just right. occurred to us that we would take this real melodic guy, Steven, and have him play bass. And then Will would play these other instruments that maybe he wasn't so good at, like a keyboard. I mean, he played very simple parts, but he was a very smart uh, like one of the smartest people I've ever met, very accomplished musician as a violinist. And so he would play the simple sounding parts, mm-hmm. but they would be voiced weird or he, he okay, so that's kind of how you get this can't be today and kaleidoscope is okay. Like, maybe that's it. Down, um, yeah, maybe that's it. And the thing's similar distorted guitar that David plays, and then I just kind of strum on a, a Gretsch and play little things and okay. guitar, and then um then we Stephen came up with this cool bass line and we were off and running. And then, of course, we always knew there was going to be that sort of, because we face it, I mean, we love the Beatles. We're going to always mm-hmm. have that 
that sort of percussion, you know, with the maracas and tambourines. Mm -hmm. That the, the eastern uh, elements. Yeah. Yes, the eastern elements. That's it. Yep. As a matter of fact, um, when I first saw it, with the scale, technically on, on yeah, the song. Okay. Mix, out. That's our. That's where we live. Yeah. What the actually what the birds did was um, when they saw Lennon and and um, Harrison with a Gretsch Tennessee and, and a, a Rickenbacker twelve string. I mean, they went out and got that. Crosby yeah. got Tennessee and, and McGinn got a twelve string, and then. Yeah. When I got to LA, David had a Rickenbacker 12 string. And I didn't really seek it out, but I, I showed up at West LA Music and they had a Tennessean and I snapped it up and I've had it ever since. So I mean, wow. that's where right on. Okay, let me ask you something. I was getting ready to talk to you. I read a quote somewhere, I don't remember where, but the enemy said you guys make music that sounded like the best drugs ever. And uh, I wonder if drugs were a part of your life back then. Just as they were for almost every rock star back then. Well, I think Ringo kind of said it best. He, uh, he said, we did that stuff, but you can't really play and do it, right? Yeah. So, I mean, like George says, you only got to do acid once. We, I was pretty much done with that shit by the time I got to L.A. And I, I mean, you know, we smoked a little weed, but it wasn't. Of course. We weren't... Uh, that really wasn't the deal, you know? Yeah, that's it. It, it might have been an influence, um, you know, just like it might have influenced your whole life if you sure. do uh, psychedelic drugs ever. Uh -huh. but, um, in terms of, like, functioning, I don't think we, we really weren't into that at all. Okay. A pot, but, um, yeah, of course. Kind of already part of our experience by the time we... Of course. Yeah, but not... not when, hey, try to play guitar when you're tripping, it's... Uh, I mean, I, I didn't do it a lot, but I it, believe it. I couldn't. Yeah, contrary to, to popular perception, Rimpred rarely played on any you know substances. I believe it. Yeah. I I believe it. No, I, that, not that's ever why psychedelics, right? Never. Yeah. Not ever. That's why that quote struck me because I thought usually if a band does that, it's intentional, and you didn't strike me as a band that would do that intentionally, maybe unintentionally, like. Most other bands. That's why I figured I'd ask. Matt, I want to ask you, tell us a story about how long were you in Crazy Horse? How did you even get that job? That's not really accurate. I mean, I was kind of Neil, young Neil or Neil Lights or whatever. Um, my wife's good friend, uh, his boyfriend, was the brother of Billy Talbot's wife. Billy Talbot from Crazy Horse, and this is after Rain Parade, and uh -huh. he, uh, sweet guy, unfortunately, he's a Celtics fan, but that's another story, um, but he, he was, you know, hey, Billy, you gotta hear this guy, Matt Pucci, play guitar, man, he's like, uh -huh. he's really good, so <laughs> I went out to somewhere in the valley while he was playing, and I brought my guitar, because he said, oh, sure. I started playing, and he's like, oh, fuck, do you know all this stuff, and then Billy said, Dear, dear friend, I, I love Billy. He's like my older brother. And that's that. You know, mm. I met Neil a few times, played with him a tiny, tiny bit, but that that I was to say I was in Crazy Horse is not okay. Yes, they released an album with Billy and Ralph, and it's not Poncho, it's me and this other guy, Sonny Mullen, who wrote some of the songs. And I played with Billy Talbot. As a matter of fact, everybody in the Hellenes who's not Steven and Derek, well, never mind. 
some of the guys who play with us, our drummer and uh, our buddy Mark Hanley, who sort of plays on the new stuff. He was played with Billy Talbot as well. So okay, I was just curious where that fit in. That's in all the yeah. you know uh, you look up Rain Parade or you, and that's all mentioned there. And I wondered what the story was. My my wife knew his wife. I guess okay. she knew too. Um, and then I was introduced, and he's a mentor and a friend. And yeah, okay. They, they just put something out that's called the. All Roads Lead Home, which is, huh. it's an album with Billy and Ralph and um, Nils Lofgren and Neil, and there's a Very bunch nice. of songs on there, and I'm on a couple of those. Anyway, okay. Wow. So let's talk about now, man. All this <laughs> well, I just, okay, I want, I had to ask the one thing. Okay. Last nostalgia that's very question. modest about his crazy horse work. It's actually phenomenal. Yeah, so. I can tell. I can tell he's not really wanting to get into <laughs> it. Whatever. We'll all Google this on our own outside I mean, of it. Okay. Um, okay, Stephen, one last question for you. I hope this is okay to ask. I think I can speak for most people who were fairly shocked when David died. Um, Mazzy Star had been quiet for a long time. I had been hoping to get he or Hope on here for a long time and never, you know, I don't think either of them did a lot of interviews. Um, in fact, I, did, I don't know that I knew until much later that he had died of cancer. I didn't know how long he was suffering from this. Can you tell us more about him? I mean, um, were you too strong? Did you have a close relationship? It sounds like you did. Yeah, well, we, we did. You know, it's a little hard to sum up because uh, we were so, so tight as, as kids. You know, yeah. we have so many of the same influences. I remember being in our bedroom, we share a room for the first 12 years, mm -hmm. like listening to Nowhere Man. And so we had a lot of the same influences. But as we grew up, you know, David was older, the older brother, and he was kind of a dominant, dominant character, you know, uh -huh, uh -huh. being the older brother. And, um, you know, as we grew up, he kind of, uh, you know, he, he wanted to do his own thing. And I was the, the kind of the younger, the younger brother, like, so, uh -huh. so we have, you know, you know how it is, uh, mm -hmm. kind of, he wanted to do his own thing and I was kind of, um, always on the scene, you know? So, mm -hmm. but I think definitely what, you know, what, what you hear in Rain Parade is how, we, how well we complemented each other, our strengths, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and bringing Matt into that really rounded it out. Um, we 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 were we were close. I mean, I have a, a lot of you know. As time goes on, all the positive memories sure uh, remain. And, Did he uh, suffer for a long time before he died? Because it felt abrupt to an outsider who hadn't heard from them in a while. Yeah. Well, he didn't tell people about it. He was I, that's what I, I assumed. Yeah. But yeah, for for the last year or so, I think he. He was not in a good, good yeah, place. Yeah, that's know. tough. Yeah. Okay, better news. Uh, one thing, one more nostalgia thing. I read somewhere that Johnny Marr produced one of your singles. Which nope. single? What did he do? That is absolutely not true. Okay, I read that or heard that or something somewhere, and I thought, I figured, I, I think I would he, know that. Maybe wanted to, but I Okay, and, okay. You know, How Soon Is Now is like... Oh. The coolest guitar songs of the 80s. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Last question for both of you. Steven, I'll start with you. What's your favorite thing about being a rock star? You've had you've been at this for like 45 years. Off and on, there were great moments when you toured Europe or you opened for I don't know who, or you got to meet a hero. 
Maybe it was one of the birds. Maybe it was somebody else. Tell me your favorite story or your favorite memory about this whole thing. Uh, nothing, nothing that's, uh, you know, uh, grandiose. Okay. <laughs> I think there's, two, there's two things that come to mind right away. One is just songwriting is really, really fun. And that's, you know, it's really meditative. It's kind of good for you. And being, being able to do that and to realize our ideas musically, uh, be able to go and record them. So the recording process. The other thing that maybe on, on tour is like just random, random events that have happened. Like I remember being something like, just for example, being in Italy, we toured in Italy and we were like the first American rock band to ever, ever play in this small village up in the mountains above Rome. And I remember that the mayor of the town introducing us to his daughters on stage. <laughs> so it's just these like kind of random surreal moments. With Very Fellini ass. <laughs> That's great. What about you, Matt? When you look back, what's your favorite thing? Well, I, I share what Stephen said. To me, the most rewarding thing. I mean, you know, we've met some people here and there, and you know, that's cool. Uh, it's funny about meeting people when, when you're a kid. You're like, oh, wow, I'd love to meet Neil Young, but by the time it only happens when you don't give a shit anymore, you know. Right. But, the time I did meet the guy, it's like, oh, hey, Neil, how's it going? Um, uh -huh. That isn't what I was going to say. What really does it for me is that when I remember, and it's hard to remember, but I do remember, you know, going to see the talking heads or listening mm -hmm. to television or going to see the birds and doing acid for the first time and just like, oh, my God, that was just yeah. so meaningful to me. And yeah. then uh, just recently, actually, we were playing in uh, – Newcastle was this right? We we just did a tour. Stephen got sick, so this is the last show he played. I think it was mm -hmm. Newcastle. And this kid comes up to me and he's probably twenty uh, yeah. something. Newcastle, yeah. And he he comes up to me and said, Listen, I just want to tell you. And he started breaking down. He said, with tears in his eyes, he said, My dad, I when I was a kid, we used to listen to Rain Parade and I'd listen to <laughs> it with him. And when he got sick, you know, we played those records together and your music means so much to me. And I mean, that's just Wow. I mean, yeah, I'm getting all goosebumpy just hearing that. I thought that when we started, you know, all I ever wanted, or and I, I, don't know, I won't speak for Stephen, but I'm pretty sure he agrees with me to discuss this. You know, if we could be to somebody else what like television was to us, mm -hmm. that would just be the coolest thing. And I've had, you know, we did this in secret, kind of. So, and we're, we're not exactly, I mean, I have a big mouth. Stephen's a little more reticent, but we're not like, we don't like, <laughs> not like gadflies or anything. We didn't go everywhere. But to hear, you know, wow, here's these other generations of bands that, yeah. you know, they'll. In another country, songs. on the other part of the world. Right, they'll cover our songs or they'll yeah. come up to, man, we, you know, we love your band and we're doing this, you know, like, like yeah. the Asteroid Number Four, who's a fantastic band from Philadelphia. Yeah. Okay. I, I met those guys and they cover a song of ours. And that's just, that's just, that's really cool. Good for you. Well, guys, I I love you, and I love Rain Parade, and I love all your other offshoot things like Viva and uh, Helene's and Gone Fishing and all these other things. I love everything you do, and your new album is fantastic. I can't praise it high enough. Like I said, I could go through every song on that album and listen to the – you tell me the stories of each one because go, it is so good. <laughs> You'd rather talk about that than stuff. I bet you would. I know. 
I, I wanted to incorporate all of it, you know, fear the whole story and the new stuff. It is so good. I will shout it from the rooftops. It's so good. Thank you very much. Awesome. Uh, Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, we really don't feel that we're like, you know, on a cruise ship or something. We feel like this is new music. It is. Not, I mean, we didn't like run off and do like Balinese reggae or something. It's, it's yeah. you can tell that we still have the same influences, but we, yes feel it's vital and new and not it is all day yeah there's a few moments on the new record I'm, I'm really really happy with and really really proud of um tell me one steven because we're going to play a closeout song and i want to play one of your so one of the songs on the new album what's the moment you're really proud of my favorite is uh probably forgetfulness yeah good um, one that's just it captures this mood and yeah um, yeah, that's really cool guitar. Oh, there's another guy who that's me and John playing like playing harmonics off of one another, and then this this newer guy named Derek C, who's uh, okay, called Gentle Cycle, and he's played with Chocolate Watch Band. He's really really talented guitar player, and, and all three of us. I mean, that was just you know some songs take a while and are difficult, but Stephen um, he brought again starting with some weird ass bass line of Stephen's. Uh -huh. Um, and then we tweaked it together and kind of worked on the lyrics. And I love it. We started playing it with the band. It was just that yeah. The great. interplay of the guitars between John and Matt is really beautiful. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. The whole thing. Yeah. Um, okay. I love it. Thanks, guys. This meant a lot to me. Thank you. I love you both. We really, really Thank appreciate you. your support. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. All right, there you have it, the Rain Parade. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Matt and Stephen for doing that with me. I'm so grateful. I am so. Uh, happy to support this new album because it's so, so strong. Last Rays of a Dying Sun. It comes out in August. Please look for it. And if you didn't know their other stuff, go check out Third Emergency Third Rail Power Trip. Uh, it's streaming everywhere. It's fantastic too. Steven requested that we end this with forgetfulness. Beautiful little ballad. And that's what we're doing. Now, I had mentioned before that we were going to cover a couple of indie bands. One, uh, this is the first one, and next week we're talking to another indie band, American indie band, who are actually one of the biggest bands of all time, even though when they were around, they were largely independent. And you'll find out who that is. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makiewicz, my right-hand man, for being my partner in crime. And thank you to my buddy Andy Zicklin, who runs Flatiron Recordings, which is the label that is behind the Rain Parade. Um, for and uh, there will be, I will have some copies of the album to give out to Patreon supporters once it is released. So look for that as well. You guys can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod barely. That place is falling apart. Uh, also, Yan wasn't able to get to the promo mode, big time promo mode that's, that was supposed to come out this week. So it'll be out this coming weekend. Um, that's a big one too. All right. Thanks everybody. We'd love you and happy fourth.
Take a drink and get